At Online MedEd, we walk you through every topic in detail, so you're ready for the boards and the wards. Primary amenorrhea means that the girl has never bled. But what we're talking about here are the disorders of puberty. We're going to focus primarily on amenorrhea, but what I want you to realize is that as you approach these diseases, they will come up in one of two ways. A girl should develop secondary sex characteristics by age 13, and she should have her first menses by age 15. 13, 15. If she fails to meet either milestone, either the beginning of secondary sex characteristics at 13 or menses at 15, she does need an evaluation. Up to that point, it's probably just constitutional delay and a little family history is all that's required. But what I want to do in this lecture is first create a framework of how you can categorize these diseases, talk a little bit about the endocrine axis, and then also embryology. I promise it won't be as bad as first year. Let's start off with my advanced organizer for handling primary amenorrhea. The first thing you want to do is assess, does she have the endocrine function required to produce secondary sex characteristics and endometrial proliferation? What does her axis look like? Hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. And the way you're going to do that is simply by visualization. You ask, has she developed secondary sex characteristics? Does she have breast buds? You also want to ask, does she have the right anatomy to bleed? That is, if her endocrine system is intact, she may not bleed because she simply doesn't have a uterus. The way you're going to evaluate that might be by speculum exam, but really where you're going to go is an ultrasound. We're going to break it down into different permutations of access anatomy disorders. A normal person has an intact axis such that the endocrine function works and they have the uterus to bleed. In this case, there's very few diseases that it can possibly be. I want to go through the organizer first and then fill in the different diagnoses and what diagnostic steps you might take. This is someone who's normal. This person should bleed. Someone might have an intact endocrine system. The axis is fine. She develops secondary sex characteristics, but doesn't bleed because she has no uterus to respond to that endocrine signal. That is someone who is axis positive, anatomy negative. Conversely, someone might have the anatomy, that is, she has a uterus, and if it was given the proper stimulation, it would proliferate and it would bleed. But because she does not have an intact axis, she's lost the endocrine system that would stimulate that proliferation, she's axis negative, and then doesn't develop secondary sex characteristics. Now, minus axis minus anatomy does exist. Very rare genetic disorders and some enzymatic deficiencies you do not have to know about. So these are the three categories I want to talk about. So first, if someone has the endocrine function, her axis is intact, and she has a uterus that should bleed, but it's not, it's not very many things that cause that problem. The first is going to be stress and anxiety. And the way you're going to approach this is anorexia or strict weight loss. This might be somebody who's training really hard or trying to remain very thin. The other thing this could be is pregnancy before her first period. 
This does happen. Or she is bleeding, she just doesn't see the blood. That's another anatomic deficiency. She has the uterus, but something like an imperforate hymen is preventing the blood from coming out. This can be pretty much determined by doing a physical exam and taking a decent history. Is she sexually active? Is she training really hard? Does she have body issues? And then just to make sure, in case you don't believe her, you can get a UPT or a beta-HCG to rule out pregnancy. If she has the access, that is, she is able to produce hormones, but she's lacking the uterus to bleed from, there's not very many diseases you need to know about. So the diseases that have an absent uterus are going to be Mullerian agenesis, and androgen insensitivity syndrome, testicular feminization. You might see either. The newer term, androgen insensitivity syndrome, is preferred because it actually tells you what's happening. In this case, they're not going to have uterus. So you have to find out which of these diseases it is. In Mullerian agenesis, a karyotype is going to show you that she is genetically female, and she'll have a normal testosterone level. In androgen insensitivity syndrome, the person is genetically male, and because the testes that she has is trying to turn her into a male, the testosterone will be elevated. And if she does not have an axis, but does have anatomy, somewhere along the line, and it can be anywhere in the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis, there is a deficiency. There's three things you have to know about here. It's going to be Coleman syndrome the deficiency of the hypothalamus, craniopharyngioma, or another anterior pituitary tumor, and Turner syndrome. Coleman's hypothalamus, craniopharyngioma, anterior pituitary, Turner's ovaries. In this case, you're going to use the endocrine labs to find out what's going on. In both Coleman's and craniopharyngioma, no FSH or LH is being produced. And you separate the two with an MRI. Craniopharyngioma or other anterior pituitary tumor is going to have a mass. Coleman syndrome will not. Turner syndrome, on the other hand, is a karyotype disease. She has XO, and because her ovaries are broken, but her brain is intact, the anterior pituitary is going to try to produce FSH and LH in order to stimulate the ovaries to make estrogen and progesterone, but it doesn't happen. And ultimately, you'll be able to diagnose the problem with the ovaries based on transvaginal ultrasound. Okay, if that was a little overwhelming, it's okay. This is just the overview. We're going to go through the diseases you need to know about one at a time. Let's start off with craniopharyngioma. And Coleman's. To do that, let's talk a little bit about the axis. The hypothalamus stimulates the anterior pituitary to stimulate the ovaries, and the ovaries have their endocrine function. They're going to stimulate the endometrium to proliferate and bleed, and also stimulate the development of secondary sex characteristics. The hypothalamus releases GnRH, 
in a pulsatile fashion to stimulate the anterior pituitary to make FSH and LH. FSH and LH tell the ovaries to make estrogen and progesterone, and it's the estrogen and progesterone that have the influence on the final endometrium proliferation and the development of secondary sex characteristics. Estrogen and progesterone also lead back and turn off FSH and LH. In Kalman syndrome, you have a deficiency of the hypothalamus. In craniopharyngioma or other anterior pituitary tumors, you have a problem with the anterior pituitary. In Kalman syndrome, you lose the pulsatile GnRH, which means you lose the FSH and LH, and so you lose the estrogen and progesterone. In craniopharyngioma, the process starts at the FSH and LH, but the result is the same, no estrogen and progesterone, so no development of secondary sex characteristics and no proliferation of the endometrium. And even though there is a disinhibition of the anterior pituitary because no estrogen and progesterone are made, the primary problem is in the stimulation of FSH and LH anyway, so you can't get any FSH or LH. The pathology here between craniopharyngioma and Coleman's is going to be anterior pituitary for craniopharyngioma and hypothalamus for Coleman's, and there is no production of FSH and LH. The patient is going to have a uterus and tubes. So if given the proper stimulation, she could bleed, but she will have no secondary sex characteristics because she has no estrogen and progesterone with which to develop them. The diagnosis is going to be made first by seeing a low FSH and low LH. An MRI is going to separate the two. You'll see a mass with craniopharyngioma. You won't with Coleman's. And the treatment is to give her what she doesn't have. You give her estrogen and progesterone, and she will develop into a normal adult. Of course, if you've got an anterior pituitary tumor that's causing problems, you might need to resect. Two things about Coleman syndrome specifically. If you see primary amenorrhea and anosmia, you can't smell. Diagnosis is Coleman's, nothing else is left. And you may have noticed that the disinhibition of the anterior pituitary in Coleman syndrome, because the anterior pituitary is intact, means that the FSH and LH levels might be normal in Coleman's. On the test, they're not going to do that to you. They're going to show you that it's low. They want to tell you the axis is turned off. Turner syndrome, just to flush it out, is a problem with the ovaries. And that no estrogen and progesterone are made, and so that disinhibition will increase the FSH and LH in Turner's. Craniopharyngioma, Coleman's, low FSH, low LH. Turner's, it'll be elevated. Let's talk about Turner's once we finish the conversation about embryology. I'm going to make embryology really easy. What normally happens in a genetically female individual is that there is retention of the Mullerian ducts. And the Mullerian ducts make up the upper third of the vagina, the uterus, and the fallopian tubes. So a normal genetically female person will develop these three things. A genetically female individual will develop ovaries. And ovaries make estrogen and progesterone. Estrogen and progesterone, as we just talked about, develop the secondary sex characteristics. That is, breast development. 
the default external genitalia is female. So a genetically female person will have a vulva, vagina, and clitoris. It is under the influence of testosterone where the external genitalia of the default female turns into a penis and scrotum. But you have to have testosterone around to do that. Mullerian inhibiting factor causes degeneration of the Mullerian ducts, which would then lose the upper third of the vagina, uterus, and tubes. If you look at a genetically male individual, this person develops testes instead of ovaries. Testes are going to make testosterone. And it's going to convert the default female to male. Testes also make Mullerian inhibiting factor, which will turn off the Mullerian ducts. And by definition, because the ovaries have turned into testes, there are no ovaries. Let's talk about a few disease states and see if we can't figure this out. In Mullerian agenesis, for some reason, the Mullerian ducts just disappear. You take a genetically female individual and degenerate the Mullerian ducts. Well, since the Mullerian ducts make up the upper third of the vagina, uterus, and tubes, in Mullerian agenesis, these will go away. But she is genetically female otherwise. So she'll still have ovaries, develop estrogen and progesterone, and develop secondary sex characteristics. The genetically female individual will go default female, and so will have a vulva, vagina, and clitoris. She's all female on the outside. She just doesn't have a uterus from which to bleed. If you take that into contrast with androgen insensitivity syndrome, the genetically male person who does develop testes produces malarian inhibiting factor. Malarian inhibiting factor degenerates the malarian ducts, you know, upper third of the vagina, uterus, or tubes. But it is the androgen insensitivity, the inability of testosterone to do anything on the body, that creates the pathology. Androgen insensitivity syndrome is trying to convert default female into male external genitalia, but can't. And because this, all this testosterone is around trying to make her into him, what you end up with is peripheral conversion of all this excess testosterone into estrogen and progesterone, so she still develops secondary sex characteristics. He is all woman on the outside, no uterus, but has testes. And just to round this out, in Turner syndrome, you have streak ovaries. You lose the ovaries, so you have no estrogen and progesterone, so you cannot develop secondary sex characteristics. But the genetically female person who has Turner's still has malarian ducts. She does have upper third of the vagina, uterus, and tubes. The genetically female Turner's is still default female, vulva, vagina, and clitoris. So if you're able to follow along, great. If you missed it, go back, watch it again. We're going to go through each of these diseases one at a time in detail, but this should be intuitive as it comes out for these three diseases. If we talk about Mullerian agenesis, the pathology is an idiopathic loss 
that is, we don't know why, it just happens, of the Mullerian ducks. This person is, for all intents and purposes, genetically female. Because she is genetically female, she has ovaries, estrogen and progesterone are made, she will have secondary sex characteristics. Because she's genetically female, she'll have female external genitalia. But for some reason, the ducts are lost, she has no uterus and tubes. The diagnosis is going to be made with the karyotype, she's XX. And because her endocrine system is totally normal, it's working, it just doesn't have a uterus to bleed, she'll have normal levels of testosterone and normal levels of FSH and LH. And the only thing you need to do for this person is make her life better. Because she doesn't have an upper third of, of her vagina, her vagina is short, so sex might be painful. All you need to do is elevate her vagina surgically, and she goes about life as a normal woman. She just can't have kids because she has no uterus. If you compare that to androgen insensitivity syndrome, also called testicular feminization, you see some contrasts. Right? The path here is you have a genetically male individual with resistance to testosterone. The patient has excess testosterone, which is peripherally converted to estrogen, which leads to secondary sex characteristics. The default external genitalia is female, and testosterone isn't working, so she'll have external female genitalia. But because there's malaria inhibiting factor, there is no uterus or tubes. I want you to see that at this point, Malarinogenesis and androgen sensitivity syndrome, same presentation. All female on the outside, but on the inside is what's different. The diagnosis begins with a karyotype showing genetically male. There'll be an elevated testosterone because the body is trying to do what testosterone is supposed to do, and since there's insensitivity, there's no inhibition. The FSH and LH are normal. The ultrasound is going to show you testes. Now, for all intents and purposes, this is the same patient, right? She's got a short vagina, so surgically you want to elevate it to make sex better. But the presence of the testes is what makes this disease different. As you'll learn in urologic peds, an undescended testis has increased risk for testicular cancer. This is how a woman gets testicular cancer. She looks like a woman, but has testes. So after puberty, generally around the age 21, you want to do an orchiectomy. Remove both testes to prevent her risk of testicular cancer, but you want to leave them in long enough for them to do what they're supposed to do, produce enough testosterone so she can develop secondary sex characteristics and then make sex better by elevating the vagina. Lastly, Turner syndrome, completely separate from this, Turner's is an issue with streak ovaries. She has no ovaries. She's genetically female XO. And the syndrome of Turner's is what you're going to look for, and you're not going to mistake it for any of these other diseases. And they're likely to show you a picture of a girl who has these characteristics. You're looking for a webbed neck, 
broad space nipples. on a shield-like chest. She'll have some cardiac problems. This is usually coarctation, so she may have hypertension in the upper extremities, and a bicuspid aortic valve, so she might have a murmur. But remember, this person is, is female, so she'll have a uterus, and she'll have female external genitalia. She just won't develop secondary sex characteristics. She will have a uterus. Here, a karyotype is definitive. Traditionally, it's been taught as XO, though theoretically it can be XX. And because she's not making any estrogen and progesterone, the axis is completely disinhibited. So FSH and LH are going to be very elevated, trying to make the ovaries do what they're supposed to do, but there's no ovaries with which to listen. And the ultrasound will show the streak ovaries. Here, much like in Coleman's craniopharyngioma, you give her what she doesn't have. You give her the estrogen and progesterone because when she has it, she'll develop normally. And if you don't, she'll be trapped in a kid's body. But the way you're going to score points is by, with the follow-up echocardiogram, you have to look for the cardiac abnormalities and repair them if present. So this was a long lecture, and it sounds like it's complicated, but it's really because if you understand the underlying pathology, it makes it really easy. Craniopharyngioma in Kalman's, axis is broken. FSH and LH are low, separate the two with MRI. If you see anosmia and primary amenorrhea, it's Kalman's. Mullerianogenesis and androgen insensitivity syndrome are the same disease, except an androgen insensitivity syndrome has testes you need to remove. She's all female on the outside, has no uterus. Separate these by karyotype and testosterone levels, and remember to remove the undescended testes after puberty. Turner syndrome, you're going to see the syndrome, know to get the echo. That is primary amenorrhea.